Proverbs 15. I'll finish the morning message in two weeks because uh, I just I, I got I got off track and could not get back on track this morning. So yes. No, you missed the announcements already. I'm sorry. I thank you for reminding me. Yeah, well, we'll have it in the bulletin too. But so Bob's funeral is going to be on November the third, Friday, at two o'clock at Green Hills. And I'll keep in the bulletin until that day. We'll have it starting next Sunday and every week so you guys have that uh, down as well. And not to annoy everyone with more text threads, but we're going to start a new text thread tomorrow because the Arnolds want to be in on the church text thread. So we're gonna, whenever we add something new, we have to start a whole new thread. So it, it, if it makes it less confusing for you, I just delete the old threads and just keep the new one that I know is the new one. Um, but they want to be on there, and I appreciate they're wanting to be involved in the church and know what's going on and everything. So... Uh, so tomorrow we'll add their number on there so they get our all of our text messages and everything. So, But yes, yeah, so Bob will be November 3rd at 2 p.m., right? So and that's all the info we have right now. If we get more, we'll let you guys know. But I'll have that in the bulletin starting next Sunday uh, each week until we get up to that point, okay? So Proverbs 15, go ahead and stand with me as you read the Word of God. Proverbs 15. And we're going to pick up tonight in verse number 16, down to verse number 20. The Bible says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask your blessings upon the message tonight, Lord. I pray that you would teach us tonight and encourage us, Lord. Straighten us out where we need straightening. Speak to our hearts as we need it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Keep breathing. I'm breathing down. There we are. So last week we went through verse 15. We're going to pick up this evening. In verse number 16, the Bible says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. This is a principle that I think explains a lot of the suffering in our world today, doesn't it? Boy, we just want and want and want. We hoard and hoard and hoard. You know, there's actually a show for that called Hoarders. People who hoard. I've known two in my life, two people who were hoarders. I mean, they had just stacks of stuff. They just couldn't let go of their stuff. Up and down hallways. I, I knew an old man, he was a hoarder, and he had to sleep on a recliner in his living room because he couldn't get anywhere else in the house. See, what about the bathroom? Couldn't get in there. He went outside in the backyard. He had a path to the back door, a path to his chair, a path through the kitchen, and the, the front door right over the kitchen. That was the path he, he had. He couldn't get anywhere. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't live life because he was bound by all the stuff that he just couldn't get rid of. We make money building storage units to rent out to people to put their stuff in. And sometimes it's necessary, I understand. When my mom came to live with us, we put all of her stuff into storage until after she died and we cleaned it all out. But I mean, there are people out there who have so much stuff 
They pay someone to keep it for them, and they never go in there and see it. They go years without going in there. If you can go years without seeing what you have, why do you need to have it? We pay people to hold our stuff for us. We're a, a generation, a society of more, 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 more. You know why these politicians are so old today? So once they just retire, wouldn't that be easier? Yes, but they can't. It's right here. They want this. They all might, they can't stop making it. They can't stop the power. They want more and more power, more and more control, more and more money. I keep watching. What's his name, honey? That senator that keeps having like strokes while he's giving speeches. Mitch McConnell. What is wrong with people? You cannot function. He was talking about running for re-election. We want, we crave, we can't let go. Movie stars, CEOs, whose employees are on welfare. Well, they make more and more and more and more. More money than they'll ever need in their lifetime. Because we want. We want more, more power, more fame, more money. There's no end to our wants. The Bible says better is a little bit <laughs> with the fear of the Lord. You know what we find when we go to Mexico? Among the Christians that are in those camps? We find joy and contentment. Joy and and contentment. I mean among the Christians. Now the, the unsaved, they're like the unsaved anywhere. But you talk to the Christians, those who know Christ. Talk to one lady, kind of. I don't speak Spanish, but I tried. Best I can understand is she has four backpacks full of stuff. Four backpacks, three kids sharing one bunk bed. And she knew the tune. Do, 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 She knew that tune. She was, she was humming it. It's got my attention. I knew that tune. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Four backpacks, three kids, one bed they all share. All they have in the world. They eat three meals a day when it gets served to them. Nothing of their own. She's humming, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is her strength. And we're over here miserable in America. Christians just miserable. Oh, got to go to my job tomorrow or I make 50 or 80 or $100,000 a year. What a drag in my house. Oh. Boy, I wish I had that house. That's a beautiful. My four-bedroom, 2,000-square-foot home is just disgusting. Disgusting. I just, I can't live in this thing anymore. And my $60,000, $50,000 car is just, right? We have so much. But what we don't have, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what we don't have. Better is a little bit with the fear of the Lord. 
bring great treasure and trouble therewith. The more you have, the more trouble you have. The more money, the more power. Think about the the old mobsters back in the back in the old days, the 30s, 40s. You know the old mobster tales. You get the very pinnacle of success in the mob. You had everything, right? You had money, women, power, fame. But those guys were miserable. You know why? Because they had one great fear. That one day they'd lose everything. And more often than not, they did lose everything. The more you have, the more trouble you have. We as Christians should not desire more stuff. We should desire more joy in the Lord. Because stuff doesn't satisfy. Stuff gets left behind. You don't take it with you. We, we all know those old cliches, right? You don't take it with you when you go. There's no U-Hauls in the back of hearses. Listen, everything in this life we leave behind. Money, fame, houses, cars, all of it. Why are we spending our lives seeking that which we'll never keep for eternity? I'm not saying you should want to be poor. That's not what I'm saying. Or the poor are always happier than the rest. Again, this is a general proverb. But generally, what the Bible is teaching us, it's better to have a little bit and the fear of the Lord. In other words, be content with what you have and fear of the Lord. And if he gives you more, be content with more, but don't seek more. Does that make sense? And if he gives you much, be thankful for the much he gives you and be ready to share that with those in need. That's the biblical model. So it's not wrong to have stuff. But a lot of times we, I knew a man one time who went to marriage counseling. He had a troubled marriage. And he wanted so much to get to the top of his industry, to get to the, the pinnacle of success in business. And the cost was his family. He told the marriage counselor, the pastor, that's counseling them, basically this, I'll get to the top with or without her and with or without God. That man never got to the top. Never got to the top. Better is a little bit with the fear of the Lord. You're not going to find happiness, Christian, in the arms of the Federal Reserve or your job or your house or your car or your bank account. Find your joy in Christ, in Christ alone. That's all that lasts for eternity. That's all they cannot take away from you. You understand that? They can take everything else away from you. But what you have in Christ, they can never take away. Better is a little bit 
with the fear of the Lord. I mean, today we seek these things at any cost, fame and money. and We have reality TV, we have social media. It drives us to seek fame like never before. I've heard reality stars admit they knew the show was ruining their marriage. But it was making so much money. They said, I was willing to take the chance. Willing, and they ended up divorced, ruining their families, splitting up families over money and fame. A reality star was making money illegally and risked exposure just for the chance to make more money. Think about that. He was making money illegally and knew going on and talking about that in social media what could expose him, but there was just that chance just that chance that he wouldn't get caught and he'd make more money. People will sacrifice anything for the chance to make more and more money. How about lottery winners who have had to deal with ruined lives after hitting it big? Let me give you a couple examples of that tonight. William Bud Post won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1988. But he was $1 million in debt within a year. Post said, I wish it had never happened. It was totally a nightmare. A former girlfriend successfully sued him for a third of his winnings. His brother was arrested for allegedly hiring a hitman to kill him in the hopes he'd inherit a share of the winnings. After sinking money into family businesses that failed, Post sank into debt and spent time in jail for firing a gun over the head of a bill collector. He said, I was happier when I was broke. Bud lived quietly on $450 a month in food stamps until his death in 2006. That's what we're seeking after, right? If I get money, it'll solve all my problems. No, it won't. It won't. Let's bring it back to the church here for a minute. A Pentecostal preacher working as a stock boy at Home Depot hit the $31 million Texas jackpot in 1997. At first, life was good with Billy Bob reportedly quitting his... Billy Bob, I didn't even catch that. What a name. That, that guy is in Texas, right? Billy Bob reportedly quitting his job, traveling to Hawaii and buying a ranch, six other homes and new cars. He donated 480 turkeys to the poor, according to time, or according to time, but like many others who win the lottery, he just couldn't say no when people could ask for a handout. He also ran into financial trouble with a company that gave lottery winners lump sums in exchange for their annual checks, but it left him with far less than what he'd won. Media reports from the Times say he eventually divorced and died by suicide. Shortly before his death, he told a financial advisor that winning the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to me. We crave that which is bad for us, don't we? We crave that which is bad, that which destroys. Even within the Christian sphere, there's a desire to be rich and famous. Preachers who choose rather than to be faithful ministering to their local church seek bigger audiences on the internet. It's everywhere. These massive conferences where they peddle goods to Christians. I was speaking on a conference the other day. I did all the math finally. Just in the tickets they sold, they made $4 million. 
preach the word of God. It'll help you, preacher, if you can afford it. If you're poor, stay home and watch it on YouTube. Think Christ is pleased? I don't. There's another conference here in Southern California coming up here pretty soon. It's $300 a head. Hosted by a church that has tens of millions of dollars in the bank. So my wife, if these conferences want to do God's work, they'd make attendance free or minimal cost. Instead of preachers like the big and famous headshot preachers, you'd have Pastor Joe Watkins, who's pastored the same 25 people in Evansville, Indiana for the last 30 years faithfully. That'd be somebody I'd go listen to, faithful pastor. All the music is so choreographed, all the most beautiful singers I'm sure they had long tryouts to find just a, get someone like me up there leading the singing who can't carry a tune in a bucket, but loves the Lord. That's a conference. We're peddling Christianity. We've made it a product. The gospel for a price. Preachers trying to be, they're all over the internet. If you find an internet preacher, he's not really a preacher. Let me just tell you that. It's not wrong to be on the internet. We put our church preaching on the internet. But these preachers who are trying to build an audience for themselves, trying to build supporters for themselves, I just don't see the Apostle Paul doing that. I don't see Paul turning in a headshot and going to a conference where they charge people hundreds of dollars to come hear him speak. I don't, I don't see Paul doing that. We cloak it, though. We're like, well, I don't really, I'm not trying to be famous. I just, I want to get the gospel to more people. Maybe you do. I don't know. I can't judge motives. But as I see so much brand building within Christianity, I'm disgusted by it. If God puts you in a local church to preach, preach to your local church. That's your audience. To crave more and more? It's ridiculous. Let me go on before I get on that too much. Some people have ministries entirely separate from the local church. We spend thousands of dollars going to big conferences to meet and take pictures with our favorite celebrity preachers. The conference host makes millions of dollars and famous preachers are treated like Hollywood royalty. Uh, my wife listened to a preacher from a conference, a reform conference. He was a preacher there. I'm not going to say his name. I don't endorse him. He said, what do you say? We're treated like royalty. Right? Something like that along those lines. They put us up in a nice hotel. Far away from the conference grounds, we're not bothered by, you know, the little people that go to the conference. We're famous. He didn't say that, but that's what he's, that's what he's saying without saying it. They have a private dining room for us. You know, why would you want the spiritually mature leaders that are supposed to impact these pastors? Why would you want them mingling among the pastors and impacting them for Christ? I don't know why you would do that. Someone snuck into their private dining room and was escorted out by security. This is the Christian way of being. I'm sick of it all. 
The gospel is not for sale. And pastors should be ashamed of themselves. What a terrible. These, these speakers are making tens of thousands of dollars in speakers fees to go speak there. Say, Pastor, are you saying you wouldn't do that? I promise you publicly right now, I would never do that. Not for tens of thousands of dollars. I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to preach anywhere where they're charging people hundreds of dollars to come hear me speak. Who would pay hundreds of dollars to hear me speak? That's ridiculous. I wouldn't pay hundreds of dollars to hear me speak. I understand the Bible teaches that those who preach the gospel have the right to be supported for that work. The Bible teaches us clearly, but Paul never had in mind. Paul, when he wrote that, he never envisioned pastors being supported by their church and then making millions of dollars in book sales. That never would have crossed his mind, ever. And praise God for those pastors who do write books who don't take any of their royalties because they're getting money from their church. God bless them. Or I know of a few who stopped getting paid by their church because they got royalties for their books. They chose to use God bless, but don't, don't take from the Lord's people for yourself and then make millions of dollars on the side. Paul never envisioned that. Paul's vision was those who give their lives to the gospel should be supported for the gospel they're preaching. I don't think Paul or Barnabas or Silas or any of those guys ever envisioned a Christianity where preachers get rich and famous. We shouldn't either, church. Don't fall for this subculture Christianity. That's what we made it, a subculture. I saw them, we're talking about this the other night. We're driving around. If you go to Comic-Con, what do you find? Speakers speaking on topics. Panels of question and answer. Booths selling t-shirts and books. What do you find when you go to these conferences? Speakers speaking on subjects. Panels answering questions. Booths selling t-shirts and books. We've copied the world. And we've turned Christianity into Comic-Con. We are a subculture and that is not biblical Christianity. It should consume our whole lives. Say, Pastor, you're worked up. I am worked up about it. Because the gospel means something to me. It's precious and it should never be sold or paraded around for the rich only. Better is a church of 20 or 30 people in the fear of the Lord than a million followers on Facebook or Twitter or X as it's called now. We all want the big time, whether in the world or in the church. We're always seeking more than we have. I had a pastor ask me, you don't do a lot of social media? I said, no, we have a church Facebook and try to keep people updated on what's going on. He goes, oh, brother, you got to spice it up. If you're going to get followers, you have to really... I said, I have like 25 followers at my church. That's where God put me. Why would I seek more than what God's given me? Now listen, some people didn't seek to be famous. I totally understand. I've told you before, Billy Graham, great example. Billy Graham never sought to be famous. If you read his autobiography, you read the story of his life, it's amazing. 
He was actually a street preacher. Then he's invited to come preach at a church. He's invited to pastor the church. Then somebody from Youth for Christ heard him preaching at the church and invited him to come join the staff as an evangelist. Then someone heard him as an evangelist and said, you should preach on the radio. Gave him a radio spot. Then he, a, a seminary or a Christian college was listening to the radio and heard his teaching and said, you should be a, we should invite him to be the president of our college. While serving as president of the college, he was called by a bunch of churches in Los Angeles saying, hey, would you come hold a tent revival, a tent crusade for us? And following the L.A. tent revival, he got invited for a bunch of other cities to come hold crusades and ended up forming the Evangelistic Association. And what I'm saying is he never went out seeking to be famous. He didn't. It's just it, the Lord opened one door to another. To, now, what he did with his fame as he got bigger is problematic. But what I'm saying is he never sought that. And there are pastors, there are good pastors today who are famous, Christian famous. They didn't seek to be famous. They wrote a book that happened to take off and got them famous. But that was never their intention. There's great trouble in gaining and maintaining such a life. Be content with what God has given you and seek no more than that. Unless he gives you more. Many famous Christians of today. How about Robbie Zacharias? Oh, he was good until he died, right? And then we find out about his porn and sex capades that he had. Constant adultery. Found out he was actually a wicked man in disguise. How many preachers gather conferences to get selfies with him? Thousands. Thousands. How about Jerry Falwell Jr.? Remember the guy that was sharing his wife with a cabana boy or a pool boy or something? Christian famous, there you go. So many of these guys, they drift into heresy or sinful behavior because money and fame corrupts. Hollywood and Washington have taught us this repeatedly, haven't they? Seemingly good people have gone to Hollywood and been corrupted, haven't they? Seemingly good politicians have gone to Washington and been corrupted, haven't they? Because power and money and fame corrupt. They corrupt the soul. Most of the really famous Christians I follow became famous after their death. That's a good time to become famous. You can't get into heresy. You're not in it for the money. You're dead. Jim Elliott never thought he'd be famous. He died in the obscure jungle, was buried in a mass grave unmarked. God did that after he died. George Mueller never sought to be famous. This is important because when we're told to emulate people, we're told to do it in light of the end of their testimony. As I've read others like Billy Graham or Harry Ironside, Elizabeth Elliot, these had fame thrust upon them by the Lord. God opened doors and they were faithful, but they never sought to be famous. Turn to Hebrews 13.7. Hebrews 
Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. One thing not in view in Hebrews 13, 7 is celebrity Christianity. Right? Remember them that have the rule over you. That is your local church who have spoken to you the word. These are people who have ministered to you. He's not saying... Remember those famous YouTube preachers, right? But those who you knew and who knew you and gave into your life, remember them. People always ask me, has to be asked me, who influenced you the most in your Christian life? And I, I can name some famous names of people who have influenced my theology or my practice. If I'm honest with you, I gave you a list of those who had the greatest impact on my life. Jerry Barge, Tim Smith, Claudie Hames, Anita Green, Henry Green, Don Ohm, Archie Dick, Jerry Delaney. That's probably the top list. Can you recognize those people? Two are my grandparents. The rest are pastors and Christian school principals I've had in my life. They've had the greatest impact in my life. Not the headshot Christians. Not the Paul Washers, the John Pipers, the John MacArthur's. But people who I've known, who knew me, and who have poured the word of God into my life. That's who you need to be emulating. That's who you need to be following. That's who you need to be looking to. I'm afraid, Christian, that when we get to heaven, those who are famous now will be unknown. And those who are unknown now will be famous. Go back to our text. Proverbs 15. I'm going to move on. I could be on that topic for hours. My wife's heard me go on for hours about it. I get passionate sometimes when I talk to my wife about like biblical issues. We'll be out somewhere. I'll get into it. We're in the car. I think people next to us probably think I'm yelling at her. I'm like, I'm not yelling at her. I'm yelling with her because I'm, I'm passionate about this. Verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. We'll continue our look at better things. Wealth isn't wrong, but better is a little with the fear of the Lord than much riches and trouble. Here again, meat is good. Better is a salad with love than meat with hatred. You like that, Kim? Is that good? I thought that might bless your soul today. Better is a salad with love than a steak with hatred. It's better to have the food of the poor and love than the food of the rich and hatred. This is saying the same thing as the last verse. It's better to be poor and content, full of love, than to be rich and full of strife and hatred. Verse 18. A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Boy, we need to learn this one, don't we? 
I did good today, church. I went to the hospital. I wasn't mean to one guard, was I? I was very polite and very cordial. She kind of blessed my soul. I asked her if I could keep my belt on. They just wand me. It's hard. I'm, I'm kind of hefty. You guys probably didn't notice that. but It's hard to get my belt on and off. It's a lot of tugging. Anyways. But I was, very, I was very upset last time about the belt thing. And this time I asked, I said, it's kind of difficult for me to get it on and off quickly. Can I just get a wand instead of... They did. She was, thank you for being polite about it and asking. Some people are really mean to us. I thought, I thought that was me last week. Not this week. A wrathful man stirs up strife. I don't want to be a wrathful. I don't want to stir up strife. I want to bring peace. I don't like strife. I don't like fights or arguing. I'm a peacemaker. An angry person stirs anger. They bring it with them in every situation, don't they? You know those kind of people? No matter what they're doing, they're making people angry. Because they're angry. We have relatives like that, don't we? You can't have a conversation with them without anger, meanness coming into it. Amy had a relative one time who had a heart attack. was in the hospital. We didn't know they were going to make it or not. She had another relative who could have been like, you know, why don't you come see them? You know, we've been at odds with each other. Why don't we reconcile? This is the time. We need to put aside differences and reconcile. Instead, that person started texting her saying, this is your fault. You're killing them. You've caused them so much trouble. You've broken their heart. You just stirred up strife. Stirred the pot. They couldn't help themselves. You know why? There's no kindness in them. In their heart, there's nothing but wrath and strife and misery. Listen, if you, if all you do is stir up strife, that means strife is all that's in your heart. If you're a peacemaker, peace is in your heart. An angry person can't control their spirit. Their anger makes everything worse all the time. Those who are slow to anger, they calm strife. You've heard my stories before. I don't go on too much about the psych hospital. What an important lesson to learn. I mean, we had people that would respond to problems, and they made everything worse all the time. There were some guards I didn't want to work with because I knew if there was trouble, they were going to make trouble worse. If there's an angry patient, there's going to be a violent patient within five minutes. I chose de-escalation. Let's get some common ground. Hang on a second. I used to come in. My, my thing always, nurses knew what I would do. If I got called and they called for security and patients throwing stuff around, throwing chairs against the wall and banging on the wall and screaming and yelling... I always came in, I did the same thing. Let's take a walk together. It's a long hallway, let's, let's go up and down. You know what they really want to do most of the time? They want to vent. They wanted someone to listen. And you would tell me, what do you do that for? That's not our job, we're security. We're supposed to put, you know, the rule, with the rod of iron, we're supposed to put the rule down. No, our job is to bring peace to stressful situations. We're not commandos. We're not police officers. 
We're here to calm things down. And more often than not, I mean, I went hands-on with a patient far less than most other guards at our hospital. I mean, probably three to one, right? Just way less. Because I start to de-escalate. Let's, let's, let's calm down. Let's leave the situation. Let's walk over here. Let's get some water. Let's take a deep breath. Let's, let's, let's think before we act. That's how Christians should be. We should have a calming effect. On them. I mean, there's times that we're going to stir up. Preaching the gospel stirs strife. You're going to make people angry because they love their sin. So I'm not saying we should never have strife. But what I'm saying is there should be a calming. We should be able to bring peace to tough situations. If your first instinct is to go in and fight and argue, you have the wrong spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are the warmongers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We should have our anger under control and seek to bring peace where there is strife. Now listen, sometimes that means stepping away. We have, you guys all know our story. We have family. We can't. We just can't. I've talked about this before. We're not angry with them or bitter against them. But the only way to be peaceful is to not have a relationship because all they want to do is fight and have strife. And sometimes the only way to have peace is to step away and say, you know what? We're, just, we're not going to do that. We're going to live in peace. Some of you might be in a tough situation. You just need to step away. Say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But listen, bring peace. Don't come in angry. If you're angry, take a couple deep breaths before you call someone and talk to them. Bring peace. When someone's angry, what good does it do? What good does it do for me to get mad at Debbie and storm out of here and go off and never talk to any of you guys again? What good does that do anybody? Well, it does good, I guess, until I find somebody else. If I'm upset with Debbie, I need to tell Debbie in a calm way. Or if she's upset with me, she's to tell me in a, in a calm way. Hey, that offended me. Hey, that hurt me. Hey, I don't like that. Hey, that was sinful. My wife has a calming effect. Even when she's judging me. What does the Bible say? She's told me, what does the Bible say? I'll be mad at something. What does the Bible say? Calming effect. I like my wife because she brings peace to situations. I'll get heated about something, get upset about something, and she calms me down. Christians seek to make peace. Listen, contend for the faith. Stand up for what? Stand up against sin. All that has a place. What I'm saying is, overall, we should not be known as angry people. We should be known as peaceful, joyful people. Anger is not given as a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, all of those are fruits of the Spirit. Not anger. And if you're angry with someone today or over something today, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let go of that. 
Say, I can't. No, you can. You won't. Anger is a choice. Anger, let go of it. Anger only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person you're angry at. Let me move on. Verse 19. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. The lazy person is always finding or imagining difficulties which serve as excuses for his laziness. You ever met these people before? An excuse for everything. This reminds me of Proverbs 26.13. Turn over there. Proverbs 26.13. An excuse for everything. The slothful man saith, there's a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. Was a lion in the streets? No. That was an excuse. I've heard them all, I'm sure. If you're in positions of authority, you probably heard them a lot. I had a guard one time, worked at a ranch. I looked, guy that came in the morning and the night guard had made no rounds. I said, why didn't you make any rounds? I felt like it was secure. So you felt like it was secure? He goes, I felt like it was secure. So you don't have the right to feel like it's secure. You have to check the doors. Well, I felt comfortable. I said, no, you're lazy. I was meaner back then. More direct. I said, you're lazy. And you're fired, by the way. But you're lazy. Another guy refused... He said, I wouldn't make, he didn't make any patrols because there's bears out there. Okay. So there's bears out there. What if they attack me? I said, you're in a four-wheel drive, double cab, very strong Chevy truck. Pretty sure that bear is not going to attack you. Well, just in case, I stayed inside all night and did nothing. I said, no, you're lazy. And you too are fired. We'll find excuses for anything. I had a guard one time in the hospital tell me he couldn't patrol because his toe hurt. I said, we're in a building full of wheelchairs. There's no excuse to not do your job. The lazy person will find any excuse. You know, if we spent time doing what needs to be done and not making excuses, we'd have it done in a good amount of time. I don't mean to use my be one of those pastors that uses their kids as examples, but I have to because it's just so important here. Our 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 joy in Crown Dale. Sky's not so bad. He sent Dale to clean his room. And he'll spend two hours crying. I mean wailing like he's just gotten a death sentence. Two, three hours of crying. But how it can't be done. Then when he finally stops crying, gets to work, it takes him 10 minutes to do the, clean the room. I said, you spent three hours and 10 minutes doing what you could have done in 10 minutes. Isn't that what we all are, though? We find excuses why we can't do the will of God. They're just excuses. Don't be a lazy Christian. We make excuses for not praying or reading our Bible, don't we? Someone told me, Pastor, I don't have time to pray. I said, well, you like all my posts on social media. There's that time. 
well, yeah, well. Listen, I'm not saying social media is bad. If you don't have time to pray, get off social media and pray. Stop liking my funny memes. The path of a lazy person is a hedge of thorns. He is literally hedged in by the thorn bushes. He can't ever do anything because the thorn bushes of excuses hold him there. The way of the righteous is made plain. In other words, a path is made out of the thorn bushes. And by the way, did you notice the word righteous is in there? The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. The assumption here is that a righteous person will not be a lazy person. He will not be a slot. He's a righteous person, and his righteousness is exhibited by his thrift and his diligent work. Laziness is not righteousness. It's sinful. Work is godly. Enterprise is godly. Entrepreneurship is godly. A righteous person is a working person, not a lazy person. Verse 20. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish man despiseth his mother. We see a contrast here that is common in Proverbs. A wise son obviously makes a glad mother and father. Just like a foolish man despises his mother and father. But we see the contrast of father on one end and mother on the other end. A son or a daughter who learns from the correction and teaching of their parents will make their parents glad and proud. A foolish son or daughter who ignores the correction and teaching of their parents despise their parents. By the way, a Christian who ignores the correction of the word of God despises the word of God. Let's just be honest. If you're going on in sin and you're rebuked by the word of God and you go on in sin, you are despising the word of God. That's what you're doing. You're acting against the word of God. This assumes godly teaching, by the way. It assumes godly teaching. There are many children who are wise to ignore <laughs> their parents' teaching. When teaching is, teaching is ungodly or contrary to scripture, they're not to learn from their parents. So I don't want someone to look at this and go, well, the Bible says that a wise son makes a glad father, father, uh, father but the Foolish man despises his mother. I guess I have to go and be a floozy like my mother taught me to be. No, you don't have to do that. Well, my dad's been trafficking me. I guess I have to go do that because I have to submit to my father. No, 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 no. That's not, the Bible never endorses submission to sin. It's assuming godliness here. The same can be said for godly pastors and teachers. I know a lot of Youth pastors and pastors who get into immorality with young people, underage people, or women in the church, they do it because they, oh, well, he's the pastor, I, I have to submit to it. No, if he's leading you into sin, you don't submit to that. We submit to the word of God. If a parent or a teacher or a pastor is trying to get you to do something contrary to the word of God, you don't have to submit to that. God doesn't expect you to. But if you have godly parents... Listen to them. I don't care if you're an adult. If you have godly grandparents, think back to those godly grandparents and learn from their lessons. Remember what they taught you. I had godly grandparents. I had a godly mother most of the time. She slipped up. She wasn't perfect. But I think she loved the Lord. 
And there are many things that my mom taught me that I, I have to unlearn because they're wrong. But there's a great many things she taught me that I would do well to heed. Things my grandparents taught me that I'd be, I would do well to heed their lessons of godliness. Who has God put in your path that's taught you to walk godly? Listen to them. Has God given you a mentor in the faith? Listen to them. If they're teaching the word of God. Teach your children and grandchildren the word of God. Teach them to love Christ. Teach them the right way if their parents aren't doing it. A wise son makes a glad father. My dad and I have our differences today. Now that I'm grown. But there are things that he taught me that are good, biblical things. I think seeing the way I'm living my life today makes him glad I listen to those things. If he were honest, he would know there are things he taught me either directly or by his lifestyle that were wrong and ungodly. And I think he's glad I don't follow those lessons. You know, I still want to make my dad proud. <clears throat> 42 years old. I still, I still want to. Because there's a great many things that he taught me that were right and godly. Learn from those who've gone before you, who walked the faith, who taught you rightly. Heed them. Maybe they're dead and gone. I promise you one day at the judgment, you'll make them proud. You'll make them glad that you listened to their advice, that you heeded that which they taught you. And teach your children and grandchildren the right way. I don't care if they're adults. You still teach them the right way. Still impress into them godly principles. If I had to make a few applications tonight, I would make this. Teach godly and listen to godly teaching. Don't be lazy. There's no such thing as a lazy Christian. There's lazy and there's Christian. Those aren't the same thing. Don't buy into this Christian culture nonsense. Don't buy into those who peddle the gospel for profit. Hold tightly to the word of God. Hold tightly to the word of God. What Christianity has become in America to me is appalling. Just another subculture. I'm not saying conferences are wrong, but they look just like the Comic-Con or Keto-Con or whatever else con there is. Let's stop. Let's stop this nonsense of borrowing from the world to build audiences. All, uh, we have the cloak of, well, we're trying to influence people. I don't know. 
I'm not saying wearing a t-shirt is sinful. Tatsuo and Leo wear them every week. They have the gospel on them, but I'm just so sick of the WWJD bracelet, t-shirt, necklace phenomenon. Christ is not a product. He's the Savior. The Word of God is not to be sold or bought. We see the fleecing of Christians today in this culture, don't we? I was thinking of a Bible the other day. Put out by a famous preacher for over $100. And I thought to myself, he prints them on his own printing press. It probably cost him less than $10 to print that Bible. Why is he charging over $100? Oh, because he can. Because we'll pay it. I don't know. Be careful of this Christian culture. It's so easy to fall into that nonsense. Remember that better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Don't be covetous. Be content with what the Lord's given you. Don't seek to be rich. Seek to be holy. Seek to have the joy of the Lord. Eat salad if it means you have love. If all you have with the meat is hatred. In other words, it's better to be poor and joyful in the Lord and, and loving with, your, with other people than to be rich and to have strife and hatred and all of that. Christian, we'd be so much happier if we just read the Bible, believed it, and lived it, wouldn't we? It's so simple. We've made it so difficult. A wrathful man stirs up strife. Don't be wrathful. Don't be angry. If you're angry tonight, let go of that. Let go. Say, I can't. I'm tired of hearing I can't. You can. You should. I can tell you right now, I'm honestly tonight, as I stand here, not angry with anybody right now. I'm hurt by some people. I'm not angry with them. Anger will rot your soul. Don't let that, don't, don't enter that prison. It's a hard one to leave. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Don't be lazy. Serve Christ. Love one another. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for your word. For these Proverbs, I could have gone on tonight. I thought about going further, but I just, I think I've said enough tonight. Help us, Lord. We've come so far. We have so far to go. Help us to love you as we ought to love you. Help us to love your word better, to love you better, to love one another better. Give us contentment with what we have. Give us the joy of the Lord. There is such a lack of joyfulness in the church today. We're joyless people. Well, we should be the most joyful of all people. Christ is risen. We're forgiven. Help us not be lazy. Help us be peacemakers, Lord, not warmongers. Help us bring peace to troubled situations, not strife. And save us, Lord, from this commercial culture of Christianity.
I don't believe it pleases you. And above all, I want us to walk pleasing to the Lord. Help us remember the faith of those who may be unknown to the world, but have poured the word of God into our lives, either by their teaching or by their example. Those are the heroes. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you for the grace you've given us, just grace upon grace, poured out without measure upon undeserving sinners. Thank you for the faith to believe. Oh God, we look to you for everything. We are but beggars. We come to you for food, for drink, for filling. May you be our all in all tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.